You're listening to the Anchor Faith Church Message Podcast with our senior pastor, Earl Glisson. Enjoy the message. So I want to start out Matthew chapter 15, verse 3. Uh, and I, you know, this is my test run before second service. And why do I say test run? Because we have water baptism, right? You want to be able to make room uh, to be able to do water baptism. We have three or four people being baptized in second service. If you're here today and say, man, I need to be baptized. I've never done that. I've accepted Jesus as my Lord, but I've never followed in water baptism. Then you ought to stay for another service and go ahead and get baptized. And I can guarantee you what I preach today, you will not get the minute I preach it. So getting, a, getting it the second time, which will sound different in second service anyway, because it's a whole other group of people. No matter how much you try to stay the same, it can't be because there's other people in the room. Amen? Um, but I encourage you to stay. Anyway, Matthew 15, 3 says this. We're starting this whole series out with this. I'm thankful that we're back at this moment. That means we've got enough new people in that the Lord is saying, you need to make these statements. And that tells me that the individuals that are coming or all the guests that are coming and those that are being regular attenders or those that have joined the church now um, probably have had some other backgrounds, maybe experiences with God or in other churches. And it's very important for us to look at this because a lot of times we'll go to a church. In fact, um, one of our vision partners that partnered with us yesterday um, uh, commented to me that they had been listening on YouTube and said, man, when I started hearing you preach on, on some things, I thought, well, I got to let go of that. I can't hold that anymore, right? Because the word began to reveal to them, you know what? That isn't exactly how God's word is. So what did Jesus say? And Jesus answered and said to them, why do you yourself transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Now notice the responsibility of the commandment of God not coming to pass is not on God, but on the one who transgresses it. Yeah. Meaning they hold to a tradition more than a truth. Now, there's nothing wrong with developing a tradition in truth. So let's don't throw out the word tradition just because Jesus is making this comment concerning traditions. What he's saying is, is that you've took, you took my word, because he's talking to religious people now, that actually had, you know, the law. They had the, um, you know, the, the law of Moses. They had the writings of the prophets, okay? They had God's actually inspired word out of the old covenant, and they were teaching the nation those words, but not based upon how God wanted them taught, but how they wanted to fit them in their own personal lives. So when you go into scripture, it's not about you trying to fit the scripture so that it will help you navigate how you want to navigate life. It's you looking at it and saying, how do I conform to it? Because if anybody's got to change, it's not God. Okay? God doesn't have to change. We're the ones who are having to change. So you got to go into the Word thinking, I'm completely messed up. Now, once you're born again, your spirit man's alive to God, and it's um, recreated in perfection, meaning it's in Christ, but your mind's still jacked up. You got to wash your mind. You got to cleanse it. In essence, as Jesus said when he began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand means change your thinking because my kingdom does not operate the same way you're operating down here on the earth. The way you're assessing all these words and all these actions, I, I have defined it an entirely different way. Man has moved it, manipulated it, and changed it for their own lusts, and I'm here to make some correction. That's why Jesus said, you've heard the ancients say, and he was talking about his dad. Yeah. 
say, thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, his father said that. But then he said, but I say unto you. In essence, he's saying, this is what dad said, but this is what dad meant when he said it. You've established a tradition in the realm of physical scene only, but dad meant that if you even lust after a woman in your own heart, you've committed the sin even though physically you've not done it. Now that was a shock to them. A shock to them because they thought if they just didn't physically show a manifestation of all the stuff that they wanted to do on the inside, they'd be right with God and God couldn't challenge that. But that wasn't the case. So a lot of times, you know, we have experiences in different churches that when we come in here and you may hold on to a tradition that all of a sudden we begin to take scripture and begin to move things in a direction that you're going to have to say, wait a minute, I had a traditional thought concerning love. And I'm going to tell you today, you have a traditional thought concerning love, period. And we're going to try to adjust that. And I'm going to preach this thing at the risk, at the risk of loss. What do I mean by that? Jesus made some statements that, you know what? People, I, I just can't believe that. Although it was truth. And they just walked away. But it will become so crystal clear that you'll either hold to a tradition or you'll say, wow, wow, okay, I'm going to have to change my thinking about God's love. Yes. Amen. Because this one thought about God's love has become so damaging in the body of Christ um, that we see believers living like they do because they have the wrong, they have a traditional concept of the love of God. Amen? We're not going to answer that today. I'm setting you up for a future event. All right. With that being said, um, I'm just saying let's go to the Word and let's, let's, let's let go of what we think we know and let's let the Word either strengthen it or say abandon it and let's get with what God's saying. Okay. All right then. So with that being said, Philippians chapter 1 verse 9. Okay. Philippians chapter 1 verse 9. It says this, and this I pray, Paul, writing to the churches now. These are all believers he's writing to. He's writing to the Philippian church. He said, he said I pray that your love, whose love? Their love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. So this scripture lets us know, and last week we uh, went with a different uh, church, I think it was the church at, at Ephesus, that um, we show that the minute you get born again and love is deposited in you, that's not the end. That is the beginning of a process that love should grow in your life. Okay? So being born again, this event, this one experience with God is not the last experience with God. And in fact, if you do not labor in order to grow your love, your love will not grow. It won't happen. I can hand you a seed and everything God designed for that seed is contained within it. There's nothing you can do to make that seed better. It's already there. But if it's never planted, if it's never watered, if it's never cared for, so some insect or some, you know, disease does not attack it to kill its root or some foreign, you know, species 
eat its roots or its leaves or whatever, if you don't protect it, it will not produce the fruit that's already in it. Already in it. So, yes, God's done some things that he don't have to do nothing else. That's a true statement. And when he deposited love in you, when you got born again, the love of God got shed abroad in your heart. But that does not mean it's producing its fruit in your life. That thing's going to have to grow. I said that thing's going to have to grow. Are you with me? Okay. So when we first started this series concerning God's love, the first thing we acknowledged was that the world is without love. So the world can't tell me how to love. And let me tell you something. I know, I know what, what kind of society we're in. I get it. And you're hearing it from everywhere. You're, the world is trying to tell you what's not hate. The world's trying to tell you what love is. The world's got some of the greatest commercials concerning it. But they're all lies. The world has no authority on love. Can't do it. And we proved that out in the first message because the world is separated from God and God is love. And if you're not connected to God, you do not know love. Period. Period. Now, this is very important because Paul wrote concerning his life, I believe in the... Uh, um, in the book of Corinthians, I don't remember which chapter now off the top of my head, but he said that, you know, everything he was trying to do good, he found himself not doing it. Come on, you know where I'm at, Pastor Mike? Huh? No. It's a Corinthian. I'm almost positive. I wanted to do right, but I couldn't. Remember, he ends it by saying, thanks be unto God who calls me to triumph in Christ Jesus. Romans 6, is that what it is? Okay, in Romans then. He's acknowledging, I know a guy that tried to do everything right, the evil that I didn't want to do, which in essence, on a, in appearance on the outside, he was the most righteous man ever, according to the law, found blameless, which was God's teachings. The problem is, on the inside, he was a wretched man. So even though he's doing an action that by all rights is God's will, it comes out evil because he is of his father, the devil. So your personal actions of what you're trying to show as love without actually having love in you and you being recreated in the likeness of God, you are absolutely incapable. Incapable of giving an expression of love, of the God kind of love. It can't happen. Period. It's impossible. The Bible is very clear. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. And a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. You cannot be an apple tree and say, I am going to produce bananas. So you cannot be where your daddy is the devil. And you do actions that godly people who are in God's kingdom does and think you're producing the same fruit. That's why it is a lie. When people say, well, you know, this guy who's not even in the church treats me better than people in the church. That is a lie. That is deception. They may be doing a form of godliness, but they're not godly. <clears throat> All right. Hallelujah. So um, the Passion Translation says it this way. I continue to pray 
for your love to grow and increase beyond measure, bringing in, you into the rich revelation of spiritual insight in all things. So if the world can't tell me what love is, only God can, and God's book is. And I don't have time to sit here to prove you in the natural to follow the science, because I got some science you could follow if you really wanted to follow the science, and that is this uh, holy book has more uh, documentation of its validity than any other manuscript on the face of the planet. In the natural. It's a historical document, and we should be running to it. God has proven that emphatically, but the world does not want God because they love darkness instead. But at the end of the day, really, at the end of the day, all your actions, everything you say and do is because you've heard somebody say something and you chose to believe it and act on it. So I, I, I submit this to you. If you're going to follow somebody's word anyway, an expert, a mother, a dad, whatever, why don't you say, let me go to where the author of words are. And that is God himself. Because he is the word. Hallelujah. At the end of the day, you're just following something someone said. Amen. And there's only one. Again, truth, if you'll come on Wednesday night, you'll hear about it. Uh, is God. It's not a thing. It's a hymn. <laughs> it's God. He's the spirit of truth, which tells me this. I don't care who you are. I don't care who you are. You're without excuse because he does talk to you to reveal truth. And you choose to accept or deny. Period. Okay. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45 says this, And so it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The reason I wanted to bring this passage up is because last week we talked about the quest for love. And we ended up showing and proving how love responded to the first Adam when he disobeyed God. I don't have time to preach this. You can go online, YouTube, and see it. But we uh, uh, communicated this statement yet last week that the forgiveness of sin is not the highest order of love. It is not. If Adam had never eaten the fruit, forgiveness would have never had to get in play. God did not create his first man, Adam, deficient of his love. The highest order of love is obedience. If you want to have the highest expression of God, that is you obey what he says. And so he places a perfect man without sin, both he and his wife who came from, from his side, in the garden. He spoke with them, talked with them, gave them an assignment to do, are you hearing me? And they were in the perfect environment. No sin. The perfect environment of love. Perfect environment of love. And he was the first Adam. Jesus is called the last Adam. A lot of times people say second, but the reality is, and technically, yes, that would be true, but when you use second, then you could assume there could be a third. There is no one after. 
That's why he's the last. So there's a first Adam and then there's a last. And let's see today we're going to determine what the last Adam had to do that the first Adam didn't do. Because of what the first Adam did, love had a response. And again, we talked about this. Love said to the first one when disobedience took place, he took him and put him out of the garden. Love did that. Okay, hallelujah. I'll stay away from it. Go listen to it online. So if we're going to find out about the last Adam, we must go back to the first Adam, and let's go back to the book of beginnings. There's so much about God's love in this first chapter. So much, okay? And the problem is we've only been talking about God's love from Genesis chapter 3 after man fell. We are not talking about God's love before the fall because God wants us to be in his first love expression, not just his second love. Because if you stay in his second, it'll put you in a position where you will stay sin conscious. Which means you are going to blow it so that you can feel God's love of forgiveness and you'll stay in a cycle thinking you can't get out. Instead of realizing that the love expression of forgiveness delivers you from sin so you can get back over into the greatest expression, which is the obedient side. Hallelujah. Amen. We are cow tipping, right? Sacred cows are cow tipping. Amen. Now, again, don't take my word for it. I get it. Don't take my word for it. Study the scripture for yourself. But don't you ever discount something being said until you've studied it out for yourself. All right? Okay. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. We're going to go a little bit further today. We're going to go all the way to 28. And it said, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the heavens, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. I'm reading out a thing called the modern King James Version. It may look a little bit different uh, up there unless they pull the same one. And God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. He created them male and female. And God blessed them. And God said to them, what did he say? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the heavens, over all animals that move upon the earth. So we see here that God not only creates man in his image, but gives man a purpose. He doesn't put man on the planet just so he can lay around sing songs and worship God all day long. That was not his purpose. So it will never be our purpose that when we die and go to heaven, we are going to sing songs. God has a class of beings who do that right now. Now, I'm not saying you're not going to sing. I'm not saying you're not going to praise. I'm just saying your life and your eternal um, destiny is bigger than being in a big heaven choir. Because for some of you, you know God's going to have to change your voice because you're going to jack up heaven. Right? You're going to mess it up bad. They're going to be like, who's that? I understand. No, that's not what God, he said, I'm going to make a man that's down there on the earth that all he's going to do is lay around in the garden 
eat fruit and sing songs and worship me. No, because we, the church, has developed a tradition with the word worship that we call worship now because it's assigned to a sing. Praise and worship has nothing to do with singing, though it can include singing. Worship actually has to do with bowing your knee and your will to the will of the Father. I worship you. I bow to your way of doing. Hallelujah. So we just had a praise service. We sure didn't have to. We didn't necessarily have a worship service. Okay. So what are these things? There's five things that he tells man to do. And it starts in verse 28, although he mentioned one in 26, but he'll follow it through towards the end. In 28, he says this. He blesses man. He tells them first to be what? Put up uh, that passage, uh, verse 28 again. He tells them to be fruitful, number one, to multiply, to fill the earth, and to subdue it. And the last thing is to have dominion. And he's already mentioned that first. Let us make man in our image and in our likeness and let him have dominion or rule. So dominion status, ruling, gives them the authority to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Because they are a ruling class. I said they're a ruling class. I said they're a ruling class. Hallelujah. Come on, I'm looking at a ruling class right here. If you've made Jesus your Lord, you're in a ruling class because he's the king of kings. Okay? All right, then. That's what's so awesome about his kingdom. They're not a bunch of subjects. They're kings. All right. But he also said a few, said another thing to um, his created being. We see this in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 15 to 17, it says this. And Jehovah God, again, modern King James Version says it this way. And Jehovah God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. (laughs) Woo! Hallelujah! Here is man who does not have sin a part of his life, yet God wants him to work. And in our dispensation, we have a whole lot of people talking about a grace that requires no work. Stay with me, because I know the minute I said that, we just had... We will explain later. But you're going to have to deal with this thought that because you're born again in this dispensation, work is not a part of your life. That is error. There is a work you do. There's a work he's done that you could not have done, but that does not exempt you from a work itself. And here's a man who's not even in sin, don't know sin, been created in perfection, and God's like, you got some work to do, son. It's your effort that I expect to see something take place. All right. And God put everything in him to do this work. Okay. So work is not a cuss word in the church. It's an empowering word. It's a reigning word. It's a ruling word. And it's why the church is weak because they sit on their hands and waiting for God to come down and do something. And God's like, I'm seated. You do what I've said to do. Operate in the highest love. Obey me. 
and you'll see great exploits. But if you don't, then you're going to find yourself not obeying me and you're going to need forgiveness again. <laughs> All right, took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it, this uh, one says, but uh, modern King James says work because that's what it means, work. Say work. Look at your neighbor, say work. Say it's okay to work. To work it and keep it. Verse 16, And Jehovah God commanded the man, saying, You may freely eat of the tree in the garden, of every tree in the garden. Right? Now, does he literally mean every tree? No, because he's fixing to give an exemption. One. So get this. Now, he has more opportunities to operate in righteousness, right standing with God, than he does to operate in unrighteousness. It says, But you shall not eat. For in that day, well, you shall not eat, but, it, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And you've heard me say this statement, but I'm going to say it again because everybody in this room's not heard it yet. And that is, if Adam had never eaten the fruit, where would he be today? Because we are experiencing God's love through forgiveness, and we know there is this transition out of this earth for a time, we think that the ultimate goal is heaven itself. But in Adam's creation, heaven was never the ultimate goal because heaven and earth looked the same. And he was created on this same planet. Because if you believe in the fall, then you have to believe that the fall happened here. Which means then if Adam was here, which he was, so when I'm saying if, I'm not saying if as if that's not truth. It is. Since Adam was here, and Adam could have eaten every other tree, which had great variety. It's not like he gave them manna only. I'm tired of eating the apple. I'm tired of eating the apple. There's an orange there, but I want the apple. Right? I'm eating this apple, which, again, you know, they say apple is what the tree was, but nobody knows what it was. It's a fruit. Okay? He eat whatever fruit. He's not just eating one fruit. And, like, I'm bored with it. He had many other opportunities to eat of every other type of, of, of tree that bore herbs and plants and, and had all kinds of opportunities, all kinds of different types of meals and expressions. But there's this one. Now you say, because I've heard it before. Well, if God knows everything and knew the man was going to do it, why did he put it in the first place? Let me tell you why. Love does not exist without free will. Man cannot truly love God unless he can choose to not. So, his expression is said, the highest layer of love is just obey me. Trust me. I provide everything for you because I care for you. Look at the planet. Look at this garden that I created for you. And I, I mean, I'm going over and above. <laughs> I'm not just giving you like pick one tree or the other. This is not a yin and yang junk. Right. 
Like people want to act like, you know, there's just as much good as there is evil. There is so much godliness, it overshadows evil to where evil seems like it's not even significant. It's because we don't understand the vastness of God's love. Because we see so much evil being demonstrated in our earth and we've all been associated with it because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, we act like it's dominant. It's not dominant. It's minuscule. And if you'll learn how to tap into the vastness of God's love and allow it to expand and grow, then to overcome evil is like, how would I not? I'm tired of this tree. I'm going to go to this tree. I'm tired of that plant. I'll go to this plant because I have way more variety than going to this one. God has given me way more opportunities. And all I have to do is demonstrate that I'm loving him because I'm going to obey. Because I trust him at his word. Because I don't want to be separated from him and die. Hallelujah. But we have to go to Genesis 3, right? We have to go to Genesis 3. So the highest expression of love is obedience. And God gives man the ability to obey by giving him a choice to not. Hallelujah. So don't sit here. This is one of the lies that we have around in our culture today, church culture. Because we learned it from the world. And that is, Mom, you know I love you. But you never do anything Mom says. Well, I don't have to say, you know, I don't have to really do anything to show that I'm loving you. You just, you know, you should know. And like we're offended. Yeah, but that's not how God's love Define how to love. And we pull that into the church. Well, Pastor, you know I love the church, but you won't come. You won't serve. You won't submit. And God forbid I question your love. You ain't going to get preaching like this somewhere else. I know. But you ain't going to ever attain to the highest type of love. You're going to be in the lowest level of love called forgiveness. The lowest level of God's love is that he forgave you. And he wants to get you to the highest level where you actually operate in power. And come out of the consciousness of the law of sin and death. Well, I'm just a sorry sinner saved by grace. Well, you were a sinner, saved by grace, but now you're a believer. You're a child of the king. You're made in his likeness. Love is inside you. It should grow. Your spirit man wants to obey God. And if you'll make your mind get in line with the word and allow the Holy Ghost to change you, transform you, then you'll never have to go back to sin a day in your life. But we just can't even fathom us not failing. Okay. But man fell. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I got to drive. Y'all are doing a good job. I'll put the Lord. Now, after the fall of man, right, 
He comes into the garden and says, Adam, where are you? It's not that he couldn't find him. It's just that, you know, you're out of position now. You're separated from me, right? Man tried to cover himself, and he sure wasn't bold in his covering. And he's all bold until God shows up. Everybody's bold until God shows up. Let me tell you right now, the world wouldn't be as bold as they are if God would actually show up in us. They wouldn't be so bold. They do just like Adam, start hiding. Now, they ain't flaunt their leaves without God. They ain't stand in their podiums and flaunt their leaves without God. But if God shows up, they running. I said they're running. That'll happen. And, the great, and when God shows up, love manifests, which means our love needs to abound more so that when we show up, they're like, your mere presence convicts me of my sin. Your mere presence convicts me of my sin. Why? Because you you're overflowing with the love of God that it shines forth. Hallelujah. We need to attain to this. And he said, but I'll put enmity between you and the woman. This word enmity means it'd be, to be an enemy. It means hatred. Hatred. So right here, God lets us know. Man who has fallen will produce seed after himself because his father is the devil and they'll always go to sin. For all will sin and fall short of the glory of God. And as a result of that, those individuals, those spirit men that are dead without God, hate God. God said, I'll put it so that there's hatred between the two. And the church wants to get cozy with the ones who hate them in order to win them. When God literally tells us how to win a world... And we're not even doing it the right way. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see that there's a tradition in the church that they've taken hook, line, and sinker. Not here. We've got to work this thing out, especially in 2021. We're going to work this thing out. It's time to work it out because the end's coming. And he's coming for a church that's without spot or wrinkle. And we ain't going to regard any man in the flesh anymore. We're going to quit living by sight. We're going to live by faith. We're going to do it God's way. Begin to be an expression of God's love. So he said, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Well, who is the woman's seed? Not seeds, but seed. A seed is coming. Who's this seed of the woman? What's his name? What's his name? His name's Jesus. And he was born of a virgin by the name of Mary. And God said to them, you're going to call him Emmanuel, which means what? God, take us home. Emmanuel, which means when I die, I go to heaven. No, his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. I mean, why are we sitting around in planet Earth trying to wait to be with God when God said, I can't wait to be with you. I'm going to come to you. I want to be here with you. And so a seed's coming through this woman called Mary. And the seed came. I said the seed came. I said the seed came. The last Adam has come to the planet. Thank you, Jesus. Now, what did the last Adam do? <laughs> well, let's look at a couple of scriptures. 
John chapter 5, verse 30. Did the last Adam operate in the highest level of love? <laughs> What's the highest level of love again? Obedience. Obedience to whatever Father says. Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own initiative. Now, that doesn't mean he can't. It means he chooses to not. Now, how do we know this? Go to the garden. Father, if there's any other way for this to be done, for this cup to pass, but if not, not my will, but your will be done. So Jesus has a will. He could do something else. But he's saying, I can do nothing on my own self. Why? Because I am love, and I will always express love, because if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He says, as I what? As I what? You can't obey unless you know what's been said. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, which tells me he has one, but the will of the Father who has sent me. So I'm going to stay in the highest level of what the first Adam failed to do, I'm going to do. And he has the writings. He looks back and says, hmm. So that's how we were supposed to live. Because Jesus discovered himself in Scripture. We're going to prove it here in just a second. He emptied himself of his glory. He came and put himself in flesh. The second person of the Godhead, the Son of God, clothed himself in flesh, became the Son of Man, and operated as a man in the earth, anointed of the Holy Ghost. Well, let everything be confirmed by two or three witnesses. I could give you five or six, but I'll give you these two. You can get the rest on your own. In John chapter 8, verse 28 to 29, he says this, Then Jesus said to them, When you um, have lifted up the Son of Man, then you shall know that I am and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father has taught me, I speak these things. Right? So I'm only saying what I've heard. What he's taught me is what I do. Verse 29, and he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things which, what? Please. Now, please him. Now, have we ever heard this word please somewhere else in another chapter, in another book? Yes. Hebrews eleven six. what's it say? And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Well, so to please God, that must mean you operate by faith. Well, how does faith come? Faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. So Jesus heard what the father said, stepped out in it without seeing it in the natural, but believing it. And it pleased his heavenly father, for Jesus was the um, righteous uh, man that came to the earth without spot or wrinkle, and he lived by faith. Yes. Amen. He operated in the highest. This is why Jesus is the highest love. He was the manifest presence of God's love. Not because he sinned and God forgave him. God never forgave Jesus. The Father never forgave Jesus. But Jesus did become our sin. Hallelujah. 
It was the Father's will that he became our sin so that he would take on our unrighteousness so that we could take on his righteousness. So when he, when the Father turned away, when the Father turned away because his Son had become all of humanity's sin, it was his will that he bruised him, that he, that he took on our infirmities. He took on our transgression. It was God's will, and he didn't have to forgive his son for all that. It was what he wanted his son to bear so that he could then raise him up on the third day and that he could pour out his blood on the mercy seat so that forgiveness could flow so that man could get out of this bondage of a life of sin and death. Woo, glory to God. Hallelujah. So he pleased him. I said he pleased him. But now Jesus had purpose. He did everything the Father said because he wanted to please him, right? Well, but did Jesus come without purpose? Adam, the first Adam was to obey God, but he had a purpose. Jesus obviously obeyed God. Did he have purpose? Yes, he had two purposes. Two, which is really one. They're connected, but we're going to see them. The first one's in John chapter 18, verse 37. Woo, this is good stuff, isn't it? My gosh, man, the love of God is so powerful. He says, therefore, Pilate said to him, so you are king. Jesus says, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world. Why did he come into the world? Because I'm a king. Why did I come into the world? Because man was always supposed to reign. He was always supposed to be divinely, um, um, a divine ruler. He was always supposed to have dominion and rulership. So I came as a ruler. Now, he is a suffering servant. Why? And we'll see this in a minute. Why he had to do that initially. But he's always been a reigning king. Even in the moments of his first experience here. Because even though the Bible calls him a suffering servant and that he would have to suffer things, he still did it ruling. Circumstances did not rule him. Seas did not rule him. Wind did not rule him. Plants did not rule him. Fish did not rule him. Death did not reign over him. Okay, he said, for this I've been born, for this I've come into the world to testify to, to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So his purpose, one of his purpose, the reason he came, is to reestablish dominion. Yeah. Reestablish re dominion for those who are of the truth. Yes. Everyone who is of the truth, what do they do? Hear my, why is it so important to hear his voice? Because he wants to get you to attain to the highest level of love. All right, but what's his other purpose? First John chapter 3, 8 says, uh, John writes of this, of Jesus' purpose, says, the one who practices sin is of the devil. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Destroy them. Meaning, you don't have to stay in a cycle of fail, forgive, Fail, forgive, fail, forgive, fail, forgive, fail, forgive, fail, forgive, fail, forgive. You failed. I forgave. Now rise and reign. Come on, it's time to rise. 
It's time to reign. It's time to obey. It's time to have the greatest expression of God's love. So he said, I'm going to destroy the works that keep men in bondage so that they can hear my voice, be of truth, and begin to reign as I reign. Death reigned through one man's transgression. Even more, do we reign in this life because of the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Okay, so with that being said, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 8 through 11 says this, And having been found in fashion as a man, he what? Humbled himself and became what? What did he do? He became a great... The reason why... The cross is such a great expression of love. It's not because of his death, but it's because of his obedience to go there. Because Jesus himself says, is there another way? And if the father said, there is another way, let's do that. Then he would have taken the other option. But he said, there's no other way. The reason why the cross shouldn't be our idol is because Jesus was not the only person who ever died on a cross. But it's why he went to a cross that demonstrates this expression of love. It said, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, right? He's highly exalted and given him a name which is above every name. Rulership right here. You see what I'm saying? And that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of the heavenly ones and of the earthly ones and of the ones under the earth. So there ain't no place on in existence that he's not the ruler. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus, the Christ, Jesus Christ, that's the Christ, that's title. Jesus Christ is not last name, it's title. Jesus Christ or the Messiah or Jesus the anointed one and his anointing, the one that will set up his kingdom forever and there'll be no end to it, is Lord, supreme in authority, supreme in authority, not a religious figure, to the glory of God the Father. Why does the Father get glory? Because Jesus obeyed. Jesus obeyed, although he didn't have to go personally. He had done nothing wrong. The man who knew no sin became. I said became. Now, I need to read this passage of Scripture, okay? And we're going to go through, and I don't know where I'll stop. We'll interject a few things, but we really have to have context. This is our last passage of Scripture before we close today. And I really need you to pay attention, all right? Because this is going to set some things for us. You need to understand something. The way we have defined God's love today in the church by by the majority of churches, because of it, in essence, we are not understanding how horrible sin is. The way we are expressing God's love today is putting people in a position where sin is really not a big deal. Sin is such a big deal, which is simply disobeying God's word. 
because that's the first sin that happened. He ate a fruit, wasn't supposed to. Sin is such a big deal that it required the second person of the Godhead to show up on planet Earth and obey God as the last Adam in order to shed his blood so that your sin could be removed as far as the east is from the west. It has to be dealt with. It cannot be overlooked. Ah, it's no big deal. God loves you. And I blew it like, it's okay. It's not okay. It required the second person of the Godhead to empty himself of his glory, clothe himself in the flesh. And you acting like you getting drunk on the weekend ain't a big deal. You acting like, you know, you staying in your pornography is not a big deal because God loves me and he sure knows I love him. We have cheapened the love of God. Well, now, you know, God loves you. God does love you. And he has absolutely made provision so that you'll get out of this junk. That to him is so hideous, so disgusting, so deserving of eternal damnation and judgment that it made him leave heaven. And we're going to walk around and act like God's love so powerful and so big that when we sin, it's really no big deal to God. Hallelujah. Oh, it's raining. I can keep you longer. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. Really? It's okay for us to just keep a little sin around and when we do it, think it's not a big deal? Because, you know, what everybody believes, God's love's unconditional. No matter what I do, He loves me. Ain't nothing I can do. Hmm, really? I dare you to come back in the next weeks to find out exactly how his love actually operates. Because the devil has deceived many. And that's why their lives are in shambles. And for you, some of you, that's why your life's in shambles. Because you're operating off a principle of God's love that actually can't be applied that way. But for those who apply it a different way, freedom. They begin to live in the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Oh, my gosh. It's so amazing. It's so amazing. It's so amazing. It's so amazing. And they carry around this attitude of the fear of the Lord. And they carry around this attitude. But that would be a sin against my God. How could I ever do that to love? All right, let's read it. Let's read this. Hebrews 10, starting in verse 5. I won't tell you how long we'll go because you'll check out on me. Therefore, when he comes, this is Jesus, into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me, and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have, not, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. That's Jesus discovering himself to do 
What? Your will, O God. My highest expression of you in the earth is to obey you. And these temporary sacrifices that are going on, you take no pleasure because they have no actual lasting finality to that which you despise, sin, and that's punishable for eternal death. He said in verse 8, and having said, and having, after saying uh, above, sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them. Right? Um, where am I? Verse 9. And he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. Right? He takes away the first in order to establish the second. But this will be, but this we will have, but by this, excuse me, we, will ha we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. Well, God, do whatever he wants to do. Well, if he can, then why don't we just keep this? If sin's not a big deal, why do you go to such lengths? But having been uh, off, but having, but he having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemy be made a footstool for his feet. Two things happen in this particular passage of scripture that he said was his purpose. You say correctly that I'm a king. He sat down at the right hand of the Father. He is. King of kings and Lord of lords. And I've come to destroy the works of the devil. It's all my enemies going to be under my feet. Yes. Going to be my footstool. Yes. Hallelujah. Come on, are you with me? Yes. He goes on and says this. He says, for by one offering he has perfected for all times those who are sanctified. Those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. Are we in this covenant? Yes. Well, what is this covenant that he's doing? I will put my laws upon their hearts and on their minds I will write them. Yes. Now, why is he doing that? Because right. if it's just about the blood being shed so that your sins are forgiven, in order for that to have full effect for your life, God is saying, I'm doing this so that I can put my law or put my word in their heart and on their minds. I want them to be able to raise out of forgiveness and get to obedience. He goes on and says this. He then said, and because of the first two, their sins and their lawless deeds will be remembered no more. Because I can do the first two, the last can happen. Now, where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin because he done it once for all, right? Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence 
to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, meaning he came to the earth, he came as the last Adam, he expressed God's greatest love, he stayed in obedience, he showed his dominion status, he operated as the first Adam that fell, but I operate as it here now, and then I'm going to lay down my life, I'm going to pour out my blood so that the works of the devil that have you bound and keep you out of God's greatest expression of love, I will forgive that, I will cause it to be clean from your account if you'll call on my name and call me Lord supreme in authority where you'll submit to my will so that I can write my word in your heart and on your mind and you can raise up and become the highest expression of the love of God in the earth. Wow. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. With a sincere heart. What sincere heart? One that has his word written on it. In full assurance of faith. What's faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Context here. Having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with, with pure water. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. One translation says of our faith without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Meaning, I can hold fast to this thing because he's put it in me to believe and to obey now. I don't have to miss it. I don't have to go through life missing it and asking God to forgive me all the time. Now, if you do blow it, guess what? You can ask. No problem. Forgiveness is there for those who repent. No problem. But your life should be so consistent in obedience that you actually think, I don't really can remember the last time I actually sinned. I'm telling you. All right, let's go on now. Let's get this in context, right? It says, for he is faithful to his promise. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to, oh, there's that word. Now notice, love starts to manifest in us because of the finished work of Jesus which now gives him the right and the ability in our hearts to write his word so that we can actually have revelation knowledge to understand what God is saying and how to do it his way and renew our minds to his way of thinking. And in order for this to happen, confidently, we are to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, meaning you can do this, Mary. You're born again. You can obey God. You can do this. Now, look at one of the considerations that we should do in order for us to uh, stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Verse 25. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Because we know this, the scripture says, will God find faith in the earth when he returns? But more importantly, said in the last days, many Love will wax cold. Why? I guarantee you because they aren't assembling to be stimulated. Because when you don't assimilate, assemble, then you're not getting all the instruction that the king wants to give you so that you can walk in obedience in the last of the last days to overcome in this life. We just want forgiveness. But God wanted to get us obedience. Jesus Christ did not come 
to forgive you alone. He came to forgive you, to raise you up to obedience. Wow. <clears throat> then he goes to verse 26. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of truth, there is no longer, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. We'll talk about this later. Anyone who sets aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he has sanctified and has insulted insulted the spirit of what's it what is it grace it doesn't matter what I do God loves me unconditionally I don't have to do anything because of his grace he shed his blood it's done I have no work in this manner sin's not a big deal just give me the blood let's just say it's clear and we're good I'm going to go on and do life my own way. Come on, don't look at me like that. Don't look at me like that. Because you know many people that confess that, they profess that Jesus is their Lord, but they never come to church. They are not connected with his body. They are not serving in the local church. They are basically saying, well, I'm forgiven. God's blood's been applied. Yeah, I, I ain't perfect. Come on, they talk that. Well, I ain't nobody perfect. Like that's a badge of honor. Well, sure, nobody's perfect, but we are to be perfected and to mature. And you can live a life where sin doesn't dominate you. But you choose to stay in the cycle of fail forgiveness, fail forgiveness. And the problem is you may actually get out of the cycle. All right, let's go on. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay and again, the Lord will judge his people. Yeah. Whose people? This ain't the devil. <laughs> now, he will judge the world because they've already judged themselves. But he also going to judge his people. The spirit of grace does not keep you out of judgment. Because you're all, we all going to stand before the, um, the judgment seat of Christ, our king. We are going to have to give an account of how we were expressing his love after we were born again. Hallelujah. All right, let's go on. It is a terrifying thing <laughs> to fall into the hands of the living God. But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of suffering, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. You, for you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourself a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. Meaning, I'm going to obey God, period. 
I ain't throwing this away. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what people who are stuck in forgiveness fail, forgiveness fail say. I am going to obey God because I am not going to be a sinner. I'm not going to operate in sin. I'm not going to sin against my God. He has raised me up to the greatest expression, and that is to be able to obey him at his word. And I'm going to keep his word. I'm going to keep his commands. I'm going to do because I'm going to demonstrate that I love him because that is how love is shown to the Father. He says, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, when you what? Done the will of God. You may receive what was promised for yet a little while. He who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous ones, what are they going to do? Live by failure and forgiveness. But my righteous one will live by forgiveness. But my righteous one will live because they were forgiven. <laughs> but my righteous ones will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we, say that's me. But we, say that's me. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Hallelujah. Realize that the blood of Jesus that has forgiven me of my sin, my trespasses, and my rebellion. And only he could do that because he was the last Adam that did what the first Adam failed to do that would have kept us in a position of living in the greatest expression of love, and that is obedience to God. The last Adam did that, and he took on my transgression, and he took on my sin, and he was raised from the dead on the third day by the power of the Holy Ghost, and he poured out his blood on the mercy seat in heaven. And for all who call on his name are not only saved, they are transformed, they are made new, they are made in the righteousness of God in Christ. Then the love of God gets shed abroad in their heart where now we want to obey. And say, Dad, teach me your word. Holy Spirit, what is Dad saying? Because as his son, as his daughter, I say yes. I say yes. And I'm going to be the greatest expression of love in the planet. Because when people see me, they see I do the will of the Father. The reason why the world waits till they go to die, and many don't make it into the kingdom earlier, and some don't make it into the kingdom at all, is because we've sold them the lowest expression of God's love. And you're going to have to ask God to forgive you of your sin before you die. Because when you die, if you don't, you'll, you'll not go to heaven. And many people will think, I'm not dying at 20. I can wait. Because when I look at your life, you do the same things I do. You act the same. And yet to them, they even know that's a little hypocritical, isn't it? I mean, many people that are lost like, well, I don't... Because I want to do what I want to do. They know that's basically not the requirement. Yet we have given them an unconditional love, expression, that there's an option. Now, you know, I'm not wanting to sin, but, you know, if I do, it's not because it's not God loves me, you understand. It's, there's nothing I can do. So that's why we'll wait. I'll wait. Before I go, I'll call on his name. 
And some, they don't get time because it goes that fast. Because they didn't realize you're showing something that's different. How do you, how can you live that way? Well, I can obey God. Well, I, I want to obey. It's impossible. You first have to be forgiven. Your sin is that damning in your life. You can't do it on your own. You're going to have to get the forgiveness, and God forgives you. And then you can walk in obedience like I do. And these things that have got you bound, they won't bound you no more. But it takes effort. And I got to let the love grow because the enemy's always attacking my love. Why is that? I'll close with this. Faith works by love. Faith is hearing God's word. It's the highest level of God's love. So if he can get you off your love walk, then your faith walk is gone. And you cannot show heaven in the earth. All you are is earthly with good deeds that the world can do. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you want more, subscribe to our message podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Rating and leaving a comment will go a long way with helping our messages get better circulation. If you'd enjoy watching our weekend messages, visit youtube.com forward slash anchor faith. We'd love it if you'd subscribe, leave a comment or a like on the messages. If you'd like to find out more information about us and how we're influencing the world and help support the work we're doing by giving, just visit anchorfaith.com. 